If you're looking for ways to prioritize your health and fitness, run more efficiently, understand food, and somehow fit it all into a fun and family-centered life, you're in the right place. This is the Real Life Runners Podcast, and we're your hosts, Kevin and Angie Brown. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get running. Everybody, happy new year. It's 2018. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Real Life Runners podcast. This is episode number 18, and today we are going to go back and talk about um, a little bit more about the mental side of running. Uh, and we are going to talk about another chapter from the book, How Bad Do You Want It by Matt Fitzgerald. We really love this book a lot, and we really want to delve in deep to this book and a lot of the concepts that. It talks about. So today we are going to talk about um, one of the chapters in here. And this is basically a chapter about, you know, have you ever been in a race that meant a lot to you and you just choked and did not perform as well as you thought you were going to or as well as you had hoped to? I like the book because they point out that the uh, the fancy scientific term for choking is uh Choking. Choking. There's just, there's no better way of saying it. That's just what it is. And I, I think we've all been there. We've all been in that spot where it's like, oh man, my training is just going to, it's going to culminate in this race and I'm set up to peak. I've been running so well and <laughs> done. Yeah. So scientists define choking as poor performance that occurs in response to the perceived stress of a situation. So essentially it's, you know, it's based on the importance that we place on this performance and the importance of achieving a certain outcome um, in that given performance. So essentially, when we choke, we just don't live up to our own expectations. But the expectations are pretty much always put out there by ourselves. You know, I, I don't think we have a lot of people listening right now who are under some sort of professional contract that says they have to run so fast or their contract lowers. Yeah. Hi, Shalane. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> so um, anyway, so, you know, choking is something that I think that most of us have experienced if if we have any sort of racing experience. Um, I'm kind of new to the racing world, and I know I've experienced it for sure. And um, I mean, it's something that I, I used to experience, you know, in back in the day when I used to play basketball and volleyball in high school, you know, when you have so much pressure on yourself and you have to make that free throw or something and you just choke and you mess it up. And I mean, you know, <laughs> my, my coaches made sure I was never in a position of pressure back when I was playing <laughs> basketball. <laughs> So, you know, nowadays when it comes to running and running in races, you know, I definitely experienced this recently in um, my goal race of the turkey trot last Thanksgiving. You know, I had that goal in my head that time and I totally choked. I, you know, I cramped up and I did not perform as well as I wanted to and it f was not fun. Right. And it was such a tough one to look at afterwards because your training had been going so well. You went out appropriately and you're just like, I don't know, I just cramped up. And, you know, uh, upon rereading this chapter, it really makes you go, what did you cramp up or did you set the expectations and, and something just mentally went wrong and had a physical outcome in your body? Possibly. Yeah. So, you know, we're going to get into that today and we'll talk a little bit more about that as the episode goes on. Um, Kev, have you ever experienced choking in a race? 
Um, yes, I've been, I've been racing since I was 15. I, I don't even know all the details of time upon time. How many times you've done it? Yes. How many different (laughs) times I've choked and how many times I've basically set myself up of like, oh, well, if I just take the race out, you know, a little bit quicker and I can go with that guy. No, you're just setting yourself up for failure on that one. Yeah. So scientists have kind of, you know, tried to research this phenomenon and some scientists think that this is actually a coping skill that we've developed um, from back in the days when it was kind of survival of the fittest. You know, um, we developed this skill that essentially made us not want to put ourselves in high pressure situations. You know, back in the day when they used to fight to the death and that kind of thing. Um, Scientists think that this might be a coping skill that may have been in place since around that time. Um, And basically protects us from entering high stakes types of situations. Right. Because if you're never in the situation where you could fail and failing means death, well, then you don't have to worry about that. Right. You, you just, you manage to, to cut yourself off before you even give it a shot. Like, oh, well, I was going to try racing really, really hard, but this happened to me. You know, you take that first mile too fast. You cramp up early in the race. You're, you know, a hip hurts on your, something goes wrong so early in the race that you just can't even try and push yourself all the way through it because your brain prevented you from trying to see what your actual physical limits even were. Yeah, so in a way, it's it's like your body's fear of success. Yes, which is just such a sad statement. It's your own body's fear of success. That usually happens on an unconscious level. That's the crazy part. Well, yeah, that's that's why it's really tricky to try and deal with is because you don't even realize what's going up. You know, you think you have a side stitch that's due to breathing. And so then you go and try and focus more on breathing. And it turns out that's like the opposite of what you should be doing at that point. Yeah. So turns out, um, according to the scientists that have researched this, it's really not, you know, a lot of athletes um, talk about the pressure of a situation. They talk about, you know, feeling pressure in any given situation. And it's not really the external pressure of that situation that causes us to perform poorly, but really it's how we interpret that and the self-consciousness that that creates in us. You know, we think of things too much. We overthink things. We expect too much of ourselves. We just become very self-conscious. And that's what actually causes the poor performance, not the outside pressure from everybody else. In in one of my first years of coaching track, I had two very, very good runners. And they were both in the two mile. And one of them had been training all year. And like she was so focused on this, this regional two mile and getting to state. And the other girl was a basketball player. And we had her in the 400. And then there was an open spot in the two mile. And we're like, Oh, what the heck? Why don't you run the two mile? And so she did it. And somehow she qualified from districts to regions. And they were both there in the regional race. And the one girl who looked like the stereotypical two miler should have been out there and flying, cramped up early and just fell off the back of the pack. And the other girl kind of looked over at me like, well, what am I supposed to do? You said, go with my teammate. And I'm like, um, go with the girl in orange. And she just kind of like smiled and said, okay. And just ran her way to States because she, it never occurred to her not to. Yeah. Because she didn't <laughs> put that own pressure on herself. 
that's one of the things that's so interesting about this phenomenon. And that is that when you focus on internal processes, like your breathing or your foot strike or your arm swing or whatever it might be that you were trying to focus on during that moment, it actually reduces your movement efficiency and actually hinders your performance instead of improving it. I remember when you read this, you you looked over at me and you're like, but when you're racing, don't you think about how you're feeling and, and making sure that you're breathing appropriately? I'm like, I, I try to do that as little as I possibly can. Right. Because I mean, you hear this from a lot of coaching um, things out there, you know, when you're in a race and things get tough, just try to focus on your breathing or try to focus on this or try to focus on that. And apparently, according to these scientists, all of that is wrong. You should not be focusing on anything internally like your breathing. You should really try to just distract yourself and focus on the environment around you more than anything to try to improve your performance at that time. I mean, the the sort of parallel to this thing is running hurts, racing hurts a lot. And so if, if you're, you're trying to focus on something and, and take your mind off of the pain, why would you focus on your body that's causing the pain? Focus on how pretty that flower is over there. And oh, look, it's a bird. Like literally anything you can come up with besides the pain that your body's going through is going to help kind of reduce your sensation of that pain. Yeah, that's true. It's, you know, and, and they use the comparison to like fire walkers, people that are walking on those hot coals or on hot fire, you're not going to want to focus on how hot your feet are. You're going <laughs> to, you know, that seems a little counterproductive because if, as soon as you focus on how hot your feet are, you're going to want to jump off the coals. Instead, you focus your attention forward at whatever the end of that path is. And that by just focusing your mind ahead, that will allow you to endure more pain and get further than you might have had you been focusing on the pain in your feet. This is why one of the first like coaching tactics that I give like almost all of my new runners, I do the best I can over the first couple of races of the season to find that athlete that's probably also going to be in the race. Yeah. And I said, just go with that kid. Don't worry if they go fast, if they go, just go with that kid. Yeah. And then they don't have to think about anything. Mm -hmm. They just have to think, oh, all I have to do is stay with the kid in the black shirt and off I go. And and it's it's so much easier than trying to pace yourself. And for a new runner, a new racer especially, that really takes a lot of the pressure off. Oh my gosh, it so does. And that was one of the reasons that I'm convinced that I PR'd in my next 5K after the turkey trot because in <laughs> that 5K – I had one of our cross-country runners who was running right in front of me, and I know what her pace is. I know what she's capable of. And so I thought to myself, if I just stick with her, I'll be good to go. Like, I know I'll be able to pull in this kick at the end. I'll be able to just go with her. And if she starts to fall off, then I'll, I'll be okay. But ultimately, I followed her for the first two miles of that race. And I really think that that had a huge amount to do with how well I did, because like you said, it wasn't, I wasn't thinking about myself. All I was thinking was just stick with her. Just don't let her get away from me. So I totally believe that now. When you focus on something outside of yourself, that it really can improve performance. So that kind of busted that whole idea for me, you know, of focus on your breathing or focus on how you're body is feeling at the time of your race, that's really the last thing you want to do. You really want to try to refocus on other things. You know, training runs are different. During training runs, that's your time to try to improve your 
form and your breathing and all that stuff. But during a race, you're trying to actually distract yourself from what's going on inside your body and just focus on everything else around you. Yeah, I mean, to that end, the the whole idea of trying to change your your running efficiency, your running mechanics, it's never a smooth and easy process. You know, if you try and change the way that your foot lands, like I used to land really, really strong on my heel, and I still land on my heel, just not quite as pronounced, but it's taken me years to try and gradually change to landing on the middle of my foot. And the first few attempts at it looked really poor and felt uncomfortable and looked bad and I was running slower. But you didn't do that in a race. uh, No, I was not about to try and do that in a race because in, in a race, you just work with what your body is naturally doing. Like whatever, whatever you bring that day, that's what you've got. And maybe it's a good, good day. Maybe it's not, but you just, you work with what you've got and you try and distract from the pain. You you visualize, you know, what's, kind of put a put a, a goal out there so that you're you're chasing after something but on, on race day on race day it's important to just trust your training at yes, that point right that's what i'm trying like to come up with you know at that point there's nothing more you can do so you just have to say okay i've trained for this i've done everything i can do up to this point and if even if you haven't done everything possible it's it's too late, you know. Yes, that, that ship has sailed. Right. Believe in what it is that you've brought to that day. Right. Let's go and race. And just give it everything you've got that day and, and focus on everything else but yourself <laughs> that day. So when we think about what leads us to choking and becoming too self-conscious, ultimately it stems from a goal that we've set for ourselves. Um, and that could be a time goal. You want to run a race in a certain time. I mean, that's that's a big thing. Or you want to win a, a title or a championship. You want a place in your age group. There are various goals that we set for ourselves when it comes to running. And ultimately, that goal and the, the achievement of that goal is what leads us to become so self-conscious and ultimately can lead us to choke if we don't deal with that correctly. Yeah, I mean, the the numbers being out there, I mean, perhaps the back of my door when I was back in high school should not have said Crystal Springs 1535 <laughs> that I saw every single day over and over again. But I mean, I ran that course one, two, three times every year, and that was that was the goal. And that was on the back of my door for two years in a row. Right, but it's it's not that number. You know, what what is that number? Because when we set a goal, it's really not that number it's what that number means it's the significance of that number the the point is trying to to achieve the personal transformation needed to get to that number right and that number simply says okay i've achieved it but you've probably achieved it way before you actually reach the number even if you don't hit the number because it's possible that in order to to get that number that you've put out there on a cloud somewhere that the race day conditions and everything had to come together so perfectly that you might not get that you could physically do it but in a given race given hills and wind and conditions and whatever it just might not come together yeah but ultimately that number or that goal whatever it is that we set for ourselves it represents the person that we want to become we want to be someone that has run X amount of time or someone that has completed a marathon, someone that has completed a half marathon. And that ultimately is just symbolic of the journey 
that we took to get there. And really, that's the important part. It's that personal transformation that we went through, that journey that we went through to get to that point. And achieving that goal is just the symbolic end to that journey that we were just on. Yeah, given the the increase of how many people out there right now are like marathon finishers is the big goal. You know, you see so many 26.2 stickers on the back of a car, 13.1 stickers. You don't see 26.2 and then a little hyphen and the time. It just says 26.2 because that's that's the big goal for so many people out there that that's this huge achievement. And in order to get there, you've got to, t- you know, check off all these marks along the way. Like, well, first you have to be able to, to you know, run down to the end of the block. And then you have to build that up and, and increase your long run over, over weeks and weeks of training so and, that you get there. And ultimately, that's dedication. You're dedicated to a goal and you did everything that you could to achieve it. It's that dedication that puts you in that position to achieve that goal. And that's ultimately what it stands for. So if you want to think about something sort of self-related when things in the race start going poorly, don't try and focus on your breathing or whether or not your quads are killing you and it seems like there's a couple of knives jammed into them. (laughs) Just think back over the last couple of months of the training that's gone into this and smile about the difference that that has happened between three months ago and right now. Yeah. Maybe right now doesn't feel great, but it feels a lot better than three months ago. If you can focus on that actual transformation, it's usually a nice little pick-me-up in the middle of the race. Absolutely. So when we think about choking, we also think about the opposite of choking. And the opposite of choking is what's known as the flow state. So Ooh, flowing. Ooh, flow. So essentially, if you achieve the flow state, you your self-consciousness disappears, your perceived effort goes down, and your performance goes up, okay? So you don't feel like you're trying as hard as other times, right? And this, this term flow was originally coined by a scientist with a very long, I think, Russian name that I'll put in the show notes because I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. It b- starts with a C and an S. And uh, I'm just not going <laughs> to – I don't want to butcher it, you know. But his first name is Mihaly, so I'm going to go ahead and, and say that. But um, essentially, he d- defined the term flow as a state of complete immersion in a purposeful activity, which is a great definition because it, it's it's a really hard concept to define. Mm-hmm. People can state when they're when they are currently feeling in a state of flow, right? And that's one thing that was interesting that in the science literature was that athletes know when they're in that state, but they can't describe it. Yes, yes, I I don't know, I I don't know how to say it, but I was in it for this race, or I was in it for this portion of this exactly, race even. Exactly, and then I, they and can then go I in and out, out of it. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, you can totally fall right out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I've definitely, I've had races where I'm like, I don't remember what happened to those five miles 
of that race, they just sort of passed because I, I had hit flow and I was just cruising at that point in time. Yeah. That so was, that was fantastic. The interesting thing is that neuroscientists have, have studied this phenomenon and they've observed actual changes in brain function while in the flow state. Now, here's some, some information for my science geeks out there. Like I'm, I'm a total science nerd, so I'm going to love this. So essentially what they found in brain function is that there was reduced activity in the prefrontal cortex, which is the part of our brain that is kind of like our sense of self. And it's also the part that makes us very self-critical of ourselves. So there was reduced activity in that area, which then of course would decrease our amount of self-consciousness during a, a given activity. Right. If, you, if you're not criticizing yourself, you're certainly not going to start choking about it either. Exactly. They also found that brain waves decrease from high-frequency beta waves to low-frequency beta waves, also kind of even bordering on theta waves. So your brain frequency totally changes in a state of flow as well. They've also found that neurotransmitters, um, specifically norepinephrine and endorphins change. So more norepinephrine is released, which enhances mental focus, and more endorphins are released as well, which, like we all, I'm sure, know, are the source of the famous runner's high. So you're going to feel better during an activity when you're in that flow state. It doesn't make it just feel like you know, you're riding on a unicorn, but, you know, hard work still feels hard, but the feeling somehow becomes enjoyable in a way that most, most athletes can't explain. Yeah. That's the best part is it's not that it suddenly becomes easy. It's just that you, uh, honestly, you, you somewhat care less that it hurts right now. Right. Like it, the pain is definitely still there, but you're like, yeah, well, I mean, it hurts, but I, I'm, I'm good. I'm good right now. Because yeah. I can handle this. You know, and I, it's funny because I've actually talked to some of my patients about this before. Like when I'm treating a patient and say I'm doing some t some soft tissue work to try to loosen up some some tightness in their muscles, they'll say to me, that hurts, but keep doing it. Be and I, I kind of laugh and I say, oh, is it one of the good hurts? You know, because that's what it is. Essentially, it's it's a good hurt. You It, it hurts, but you know that it's doing something good for you and you know that you're going to benefit from it. As opposed to like quarter mile repeats where there's just, <laughs> there's no good hurt about that. There's just simply hurt. Just pain. <laughs> just That's pain. all there is. So Kevin, have you ever been in this state of flow? Can you kind of give us maybe an example of when you might have achieved this? Um, the last, I mean, I've, I've raced two marathons competitively and, uh, I think I achieved flow somewhere in, in both of them. I don't think I was flowing for a, a lot of the first one. I feel like it'd be hard to achieve flow for 26.2 miles. That's the thing. It's a long time. Yeah. Like you're, you're, <laughs> you're popping in and out. And part of it is this, like this keen focus, but it's a focus, not so much on things around you. And I don't have a lot of details from both of them. But like, as you're running along, you just kind of tune out, like, uh, especially A1A, what, like a year ago or so, I was just keyed in on the bike in front of me. Mm -hmm. Like there was a bike in front of me and no one else. And that was amazing. And so I was just watching him for a while. People were like, Hey, did you see me cheer for you at the side? And I'm like, mm, not if it was somewhere between mile like 12 and 17, because 
I have no idea what happened there. I was just staring at a bike and rolling. Like, that's pretty much just what happened. Like, you guys showed up a couple of times out there. My wife was awesome, handed me goo along the way. That was amazing. <laughs> like, I had, like, the flavors exactly as I wanted them and when I wanted them. And that was super helpful. Um, but, like, the second time I saw you... I was like almost right up on you before I was even like, oh, wait, hey, look, there's my family. Because I had kind of, you, you can't focus on yourself so much because if, you know, if you're in the mid-teens of a marathon and pushing pretty hard, it hurts a lot. So you start focusing on anything else. And I know that that should be this like focus on, you know, the buildings that you're going and people cheering as you're going by. I I literally just tuned in on the bike rider in front of me and just let him drag me. Like, I, I imagine that there was like a string between us and I was like skiing behind him for a while and miles just passed as I shot down the road. Yeah, that's awesome. So, you know, a, this is something that all athletes want to achieve is this state of flow. But how do we achieve it? And that's that's the key. That's what we want to try to key in on here, right? So... The difficult part of flow is that it's not entirely controllable. You just kind of, you get into it or you're, you don't get into it. And it's kind of hard to figure out. You can't just like say like, okay, I'm going to be in the flow state now. You know, like it's not like that. It's You can't force it. It's the same as like being happy. Like, okay, now just smile, smile a lot. No, no, no. Be really happy now. It, it's, it's hard. You can, you can fake it, but it doesn't feel right. And then you just, it's not going smoothly. Right. But there are definitely ways that you can facilitate flow. Um, number one is physical preparedness. So you are more likely to achieve the flow state if you have a high level of mastery in whatever task you're trying to perform. So in this case, running. If you've done the training, if you have the miles, and if you are a seasoned runner, if you know what your body is capable of, if you've put yourself through those hard workouts, if you've done all that, you are moving yourself towards mastery in that area. And that can make you less physically conscious because you're able to then just trust your training and go and just trust that you'll be able to achieve the goal that you've set for yourself. This is why flow is tricky on like trail courses, especially like much more technical trails where you're doing a lot of switchbacks and, you know, e even road races where you have to keep kind of, of looping through neighborhoods and going up and down curbs and around corners. If it's a straightaway, you can tune out and just let your body do what it does. Yeah, that's true. And when you're on windy courses or uneven terrain, you have mm -hmm. to pay more attention to what's going on around you. That's very true. So the second way that we are able to facilitate a state of flow is positive self-talk. So something that goes against the flow state are negative thoughts about ourselves. okay? So if we try to practice positive self-talk, that can actually help us to learn how to neutralize those negative thoughts, and it helps to decrease the self-consciousness that we experience. So it turns out that a lot of these negative thoughts that an athlete experiences are really based off of of focusing too much on this specific goal, the, the end outcome that they want. If they spend all their time focusing just on exactly hitting that goal and I have to hit this goal, it tends to actually backfire and lead towards more negative thought. Yeah, because a lot of them, I think, feel like 
achieving that goal will give them the self-confidence that they've been searching for. When in reality, it's the, the belief in themselves needs to come first. That's what is going to allow them to achieve that goal, is believing that they're able to achieve it. I mean, I was talking about this with a patient today. I had a patient walk in, and he was just here a couple months ago, and he's back for the same problem. And I said, well, you know, what's going on? Like, what happened? Why are you back so soon? And he said, I don't know. My back pain came back. And I said, okay, well, did physical therapy work for you the first time? And he goes, eh. He goes, I don't really think it's going to work for me. And I'm like, well, then why are you here? You know, I, I said to him, why are you here? If it didn't work for you the first time and you don't believe that it's going to work for you this time, why are you even spending your time here? And he said, well, my doctor said I should come. And I'm like, okay, but ultimately you're the one that has to believe that this is going to work for you and you have to trust the process and trust your therapist. That is a huge component of your success with any given program, not just physical therapy with your you know, training plan, anything. Like You have to believe in yourself and you have to believe in the process in order to achieve the outcome that you want. Yeah. And then, and then there's the last bullet point on here, which is the trickiest of all of them. In order to have the best chance of, ex- of achieving your success, you have to care a little bit less about achieving that success. I, I don't know. I got nothing. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely <laughs> a very, you know, he, he titles this chapter, the art of letting go. You have to let go of that in a way and just essentially, Focus in on the day-to-day things that you're doing in order to achieve that goal. You're trusting in the process. You're trusting in yourself. And you're not as focused on that exact outcome because that will lead to increased self-consciousness. That will lead to increased um, chance that you will choke in any given race. So just being able to kind of let go Trust the process, trust yourself. I mean, it's not easy for sure, but it's proven that it works and that if by releasing that, it allows you to be more likely to achieve that sense of flow, which will then lead you to your goal. Right. You have to show up at the starting line thinking, I've already achieved my goal because I've got myself in a physical state that I can hit that number. Yeah, I love if I, that. If I really wanted to, I could go hit that number today and and I'm capable of doing it. And that means I've achieved my goal. And it, it may or may not happen number-wise that day, but physically you've done it. And that means that you've won. And if you have that mindset before they even fire the gun, then you have a much better chance of actually hitting the number. Absolutely. So I think let's just do a quick summary on this. I think we've hit some amazing things in this episode. Um, so let's just kind of break it down, Kev, and just summarize kind of how to build some more belief in ourselves. And this applies both to us as runners and also just to our lives outside of running as parents, as spouses, just as people in general. We need self-belief. We need good, positive self-belief. We need belief in ourselves. We need to set goals. We need to work hard to achieve them. And But we can't get so focused on the goal itself that we forget to enjoy the journey and we forget to enjoy the day-to-day processes that are going to get us to that point in time. So number one, you know, teach yourself to stay focused on the task at hand throughout the training process that leads up to that race. So don't just go out, you know, say you have a, 
a workout on your schedule and you have mile repeats that day. Don't say, don't think about, oh, I really want to achieve, you know, an hour and a half in the half marathon. Like think about, okay, today I have to hit this pace, this time, you know, and just focus on that, on that day. Yeah. If it's hard to get through a really hard workout, if you don't acknowledge the importance of that workout, you know, and then it, it also gives you more chance to focus on trying to hit, to key in on times along the way. You know, it, it's true that yes, you can start achieving some big time goals by focusing less on the time, but that number's out there for a reason. And in order to get it, you have to hit off certain mile splits along the way. So you can't just completely ignore all numbers. So having some challenging workouts along the way that you're able to achieve will help your mind and body get used to achieving these challenging numbers. Right. And that's a, hu a huge key is, you know, you can't just force belief in yourself, but you can build it with your day in and day out dedication to the process of it all, right? There's a process. There's certain workouts you're supposed to hit. And by hitting those times along the way, you know if you're following a good training plan, you know that you're setting yourself up to achieve that that end goal. And that's the key. This is the thing that finally clicked in with me where I started actually writing down my training plan. I've been meaning to do this for the last, I don't know, ever. And, and I've never <laughs> really carefully recorded what I've run. And, you know, starting a year and a half, two years ago, I actually really started recording what my training was. And then, you know, come like race week to look back over what you've done in the last six months is really pretty impressive. It like, is really cool. You look back and you're like, whoa, I ran how many miles over the last six months? I yeah. did how many tempo runs and repeat miles? And it's insane to be able to actually just take a look back at it you're going to look at it and be like, wow, I've really taken a huge step forward in my health in whatever journey you're going on. Totally. And I, I'm very happy to say that I achieved a huge milestone goal for me. I ran a th over a thousand miles last year. That was the goal that I had set for myself at the beginning of the year. And I achieved it and I was so happy. And that kind of leads into our next thing of, of a way to, to build belief in yourself. And that is to practice gratitude every day. And this is something that I've definitely tried cultivating in the last six months to a year. And practicing gratitude is so important. I focus on how thankful I am to be able to do the training that I'm doing, you know, to have legs that will carry me for all of those miles that I'm running to have a body strong enough to do that because there are people out there that don't, you know, there are people out there that are born without legs or with a medical condition that allows them not to be able to walk or to run and to just be grateful and, and truly in your heart, be grateful for that gift that we've been given. I mean, that has made such a difference because it's really such a gift and, and people, I think, I think we take it for granted, the fact that we're able to run or the fact that we're able to exercise. Some people can't do that. And by practicing that gratitude, it helps us to just embrace that privilege of being able to train and work for our goals and dreams. And, and to me, that's just such a huge motivator. 
Yeah, gratitude is a nice one. You know, this is not to suggest that every day out there on a run or, you know, in whatever life goal you've got, I I like to do the practice gratitude, the same thing with with our kids. Every day is not just going to be sunshine and rainbows. There's going to be some tough... And unicorns. (laughs) And and unicorns, that's right. They're fluffy. <laughs> there's there's going to be some tough days. There's going to be some yelling and some tears and, and but at the end of the day there's still you should still have such gratitude when you look down at these at our you know our two beautiful girls and I got to say thank you. Like there's still such thanks going on there. Absolutely. And I also think that if you're following a training plan whether it's something that you've gotten from a coach or from yourself Ultimately, you need to believe in that training plan and you need to believe in your ability to achieve the goals that you've set for yourself. I mean, I I know I just kind of spoke about this a little bit, but I think that that is such a huge thing is, you know, when you train and you go through the motions every day or five days a week or four days a week or however often you train, you are going through this process and that just by going through that and trusting yourself and the plan that you're doing, that just naturally builds this confidence inside of you. And I know I've experienced it in, I mean, amazing amounts this year. I'm more confident now than I ever have been in my life. And I know a lot of it is because I've been able to, to train the way I have this year. It's, it's incredible how much it's, it's changed me as a person, not just as an athlete and as a runner, but just as a person in general. Well, that's why I running, even if you don't, you know, take this entire lesson and be like, okay, and this is exactly how it relates to real life, being able to set up goals and, and work so hard and follow the journey and push yourself, that just has huge repercussions in real life. You know, and, and, and outside of running, you become such a, a stronger, more driven person. Um, you know, one of the things I want to point out on the whole, like trust in whatever the plan is, there are so many plans out there, you know, pick up any issue of runner's world and on the cover itself, there'll probably be two or three new plans that you could do. Trust in the plan that you're working with, Mm -hmm. that that plan is going to work for you. Maybe there's another one. And yes, if you had started that one that has a couple of other aspects in it, that it emphasized these two things instead of these two things, and maybe that'll work well for you. Try that next time. Right. You Be happy with your current plan. Yeah. I think that a lot of people do it. You know, it's the sense of FOMO that everybody likes to talk about. You know, it's the fear of missing out. We're constantly questioning whether or not what we're doing is right for us or if, if you know, the situation that we're in is the right situation that we should be in. And ultimately, life is trial and error and there are going to be good experiences and bad experiences and all of them lead us to, you know, the person that we become and, So if you choose a training plan, whatever that training plan is, you got to trust it and you got to put your heart into it because if you're constantly questioning the whole thing, it's just not going to work for you. Yeah. Don't, don't have a training plan and be following that along for 10 weeks. And in the last two weeks before your goal race, be like, but I saw someone on Instagram was doing squats. Right. No, 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 not, (laughs) not the time to start. Right, right, right. So trust the process. 
For those of you looking for a training plan, we've got you covered there. You can head on over to realliferunners.com and uh, and check out our member area. We've got training plans for all sorts of distances. We've got a whole library of exercises um, that are built into the different training plans. For distances from the 5K up to the marathon, and as well as strengthening and injury prevention programs for you, we got you covered. So check it out over at realliferunners.com. Have an awesome week, and we will talk to you guys next week.